Wow, what a gospel. It's my first time preaching on this very gospel. I don't think I've even done it on a weekday. Actually, I don't even know if it comes up on a weekday. Um, But yeah, it's so rich. Uh, I'm kind of nervous. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? What's Jesus talking about to Nicodemus? What's he referring to? This goes back to Numbers 21. So God led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt towards the promised land through the leadership of Moses. So on their, their journey through the desert wilderness, they get tired. Um, And they start complaining. They say that they're hungry and and thirsty, even though God has been feeding them with manna. He's been giving it to them. And he's saying, oh, we would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. What a thing to say. How ungrateful. And so what does God do? Uh, He sends uh, seraph serpents. Right, which bite them, right, and then causes them to die. Thank God that's not the end of the story, right? Because Moses, like a good leader, he intercedes for them. And God hears him, hears his prayer. And so he instructs Moses, then take a serpent mounted on a pole, and whoever, even if they're bit by the serpent, and they're dying, if they look on the serpent lifted up, that bronze serpent, that they will be healed, right? And then so the people are healed. Uh, We're used to this symbol because if you look at like the back of ambulances or hospitals, you'll see certain logos uh, with a staff, a rod, and then a serpent around it, right? It's like a, a, a medical symbol. It's a symbol of healing, and it goes back to the Bible, the Old Testament, Numbers, chapter 21. But this event, right, of the people being saved by looking on a serpent, on a rod, this is a a type or a prefigurement or a foreshadowing, all the same thing, of Jesus' crucifixion. In this gospel given to us today, we have probably the most famous verse, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And, you know, love sometimes, it could be an abstract idea. But even with this very verse, we're able to know it in concrete terms, right? Love is not about receiving. It's not about self-centeredness, but about the other, about giving. That's why God the Father gives us God the Son. You know, love often is communicated by words. And sometimes words are sufficient, right? 
Sometimes even some people say, uh, you know, you don't have to say you love me. I, I know you love me, right? But how is that possible? It's through one's life. It's through actions, right? Actions of love, acts of love, they're concrete. They're unmistakable. And God clearly expresses, he communicates to us how much he loves us by, but loves us by not only giving us his son, but by his son sacrificing himself on the cross out of love for us, right? The ultimate act of love. And this is what Jesus means when he's talking to Nicodemus about being lifted up, right? His crucifixion. You notice how in John's gospel, when John uses the words faith and belief, they never appear in noun form, but as verbs. Faith and belief as verbs. Faith in God, who is love, it should move us disciples to action. We must be active participants in the life and love of God. In the early church, there was a um, prolific Christian author. His name was Tertullian. And he tells us that the pagans, right, the non-Christians, that they were struck by the witness of Christian love. He wrote that they would remark to one another, see how these Christians love one another. Right? They're putting their love in action. Right? They've never seen a kind, this kind of love before. What about us today, brothers and sisters? If someone who did not believe in God, an atheist, and even someone who has fallen away from the church, if they were to look at the way we live our lives, right, how we treat one another, would they have that reaction? See how they love one another, right? Because through that, through love in action, it's like a magnet. It, it draws people towards love. It draws them towards God. That's the whole idea. That's how we should be conducting ourselves. And so love in action, it's a litmus test of faith. And Nicodemus, he learned the lesson of love. He put his faith into action because after Jesus' crucifixion, yeah, he had the courage to bring spices to help with his burial, right? Even though he was a Pharisee, right? He was converted, he was transformed by the love of God. What prevents us from loving like Christ? What prevents us from loving in the way that God calls us to? Obviously, darkness, right, which this gospel speaks about. 
obviously sin, right, which severs our relationship with God. What's the remedy for that? You know, what's our concrete bronze serpent that we can look to? It's the great gift that God gives us in the sacrament of reconciliation. It's that opportunity for us to shed ourselves of darkness and come into the light, into the light of Christ. Just like to share with you two phenomena um, that I've noticed, and that's, um, or actually an image. First, let's start with an image. You know, we could think of our lives, our hearts, as a house, right? And in our houses, when we invite people over, although we're probably not doing that too often uh, these days, um, there's always, seems to be a, a place in the house, maybe a room, that we don't want our guests to, to look inside, right? We don't show them this part, this dark place of the house, because, yeah, it's, it's messy, Right? And this is where we keep our secrets. When we invite Christ into our lives, guess what? He's not interested in, in the places that are clean. Right? They're, already, it, they're already good, but he wants to be invited into that dark room, that secret room that we're not showing him, not inviting him to. Right? But he, doesn't, he never forces himself into that room. Right? Only we have the ability to open it and invite Christ to bring his light right, into that room, into the dark corners of our hearts. And that's what we do in confession. Right? We bring the light of Christ. We bring the sins, we bring our contrite heart to the light and love of Christ. And you know what's interesting? This is the phenomena I was talking to you about. The clo- uh, when you bring light to something, especially sunlight, you're able to see that it's, yeah, it's actually dusty. It's, it's messy. There are spider webs um, and then and dust bunnies. But if it's dark, you don't really see it. But in direct sunlight, right, you can see them clearly. It, it's not just me, right? You, you, you experience that in your own homes as well. It's the same with our relationship with God. The closer we draw, the closer we go towards Him, yeah, the more we're able to see um, the dark areas of our life, the areas that need cleaning. And I think that's why you know, the holiest people, the saints, why they, t- why they took advantage of confession as often as they did, once, twice a week. I'm talking about St. John Paul II, Mother Teresa, right? Well, there's these holy people, what sins do they have? How come they're going to confession every week, every two weeks? 
right? Just because they were so close to God, so close to the light, that they're able to see uh, their sins, their sinfulness. This is the other phenomena I was talking to you about. If you have a clean house, uh, you're going to be motivated to keep the house clean. But once uh, it starts getting messy, maybe you put, um, you throw um, a, a piece of uh, a dirty clothing uh, on a part of your house, and then you see that, and then you, you put another piece of uh, dirty clothing on top of it, and soon it starts to pile up. And soon, like, the dust starts getting messy. And then you become, yeah, you're, it's, it becomes, like, motivation for you to continue to, to keep things messy. But if the house is clean, right, you're going to be motivated to keep it clean. Right? And so another good idea for us to visit the sacrament of reconciliation, because when our souls are clean, it, just like with the house, we'll be motivated to keep it clean, not to messy it, not to mess it up. I was talking to someone recently, and yeah, this person, this parishioner, uh, not from here, uh, in, in his parish, I guess there's somebody who doesn't seem as uh, approachable, uh, especially in the confessional. So he said, he admitted to me that he went to confession recently and he said, oh, thank God I didn't get Father so-and-so. Uh, I went to uh, this other priest and he was friendly and then he gave me um, just a, a light penance. And so he was kind of happy to share that. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's not how it should be. Um, I've heard some horror stories, heard some nightmares about priests yelling at people at the conf in confession. Has anybody here had such a experience, a negative experience of a priest getting angry and, and yelling at you? Yeah. I'm sorry for that, sir. Um, if there's anyone you know or you yourself have experienced that, yeah, let me know. Let me know who the priest is. I'll make a whip. I'll make a cord out of whips. Wait, what am I saying? I'll make a whip out of cords, just like last week's gospel, and I'll drive them out. I'll have a um, brotherly, fraternal talk with them. That's not how it should be, right? From our gospel, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The confession is a place of God's love and mercy, right? Not a place of fear. Oh, I hope I don't get um, this priest who's going to be tough on me, who's going to be hard on me. No. Yeah, thank God. Uh, we here in the Barrier Islands, uh, we're, we're blessed with priests uh, who are not like that, who are, who are loving, who are merciful as the Father is merciful. Yeah, let's go back to the first part of the gospel. Right. The people are healed. 
by looking up at that bronze serpent on that pole. Does that have any relation, any significance to us at this moment, at this Mass? Healing? Are we healed? Do we receive some kind of healing from the Mass? Yeah, you betcha. Through the Eucharist. You ever notice after communion is distributed, uh, the priest, when he's purifying the vessels, right, the chalice and the paten, uh, he's, he says something quietly. Do you, know, do you know what he's saying? I'll share with you. It's no secret. In the Missal, right, the book that we pray from, it says uh, that the priest says these words, prays these words quietly. What has passed our lips as food, O oh Lord, may we keep with purity of heart. And what we have received in time be our healing for all eternally, eternity. So in reference to the body and blood of Christ, the Eucharist that we have received, that it may be our healing for all eternity. Dear brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves today with wounds that need to be healing, let us approach the Eucharist with the hope of healing and the confidence of knowing that through the Eucharist we are healed.